Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, February 1st, 2024, the 1,107th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free a couple days later on a wide variety of podcast platforms and, of course, Rumble. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Now, I want to start with a brief update on something we were discussing yesterday. Sundance over at the Conservative Treehouse posted this article yesterday. You can find his work at theconservativetreehouse.com. The headline, follow the bouncing ball. DeSantis Super PAC paid Club for Growth Super PAC to target Donald Trump. But wait, 
So we talked about that first part yesterday, noting that Ron DeSantis's super PAC never back down handed $2.75 million over to the club for growth, who then was running attack ads against Donald Trump. And then Sundance picks it up from there. Apparently, Ron DeSantis didn't want to attack Trump directly. So using the Machiavellian tactics the professionally Republican group is known for, DeSantis funded a third party to attack Trump on his behalf. A lot of people take issue with this discovery, but the story is actually deeper and, yes, even more Machiavellian. You see, you might remember the DeSantis Super PAC was actually funded from the remaining funds of Ron DeSantis in 2022. And he's referring to that governor race. You know, he got reelected in quotes, Florida governor, beating out the useless straw man stick figure, Charlie Crist, whom the Democrats nominated specifically so that he could be the guy who lost to Ron. Why didn't they create a new Democrat star in Florida? What's going on there? It's like it was already agreed to that Ron would win. And then, of course, right before he quote unquote won re-election, his presidential campaign was already started. Donald Trump said desanctimonious for the first time a few days before that November midterm. And at that moment, the entire Ron op revealed itself. He was clearly already running for president before he won re-election as governor. And then he proceeded to go to Iowa and just stay there rather than being in Florida, acting as the supposed governor. This was done with forethought and by specific design. This part is even noted in the Politico outline. However, what is missing is the other layer. The DeSantis campaign was funded with $20 million by the Republican Governors Association. That is a big part of the money that was later transferred to the super PAC. So put this in context, because this is the non-pretending reality that was built into the program. The RGA gives DeSantis $20 million in 2022, knowing it will be transferred into his presidential campaign super PAC in 2023. A part of that money, $2.75 million, is then sent to the Club for Growth. The Club for Growth then attacks Donald Trump. In essence, the Republican Governors Association funded the attack against Trump using DeSantis as the broker. Three layers of plausible deniability built in. I encourage you all to take a look at this article. It's too long for me to go all the way through, and the main point is being made right here. But just two more paragraphs to conclude. Now, ask yourself, who does the RGA support? That's the Republican Governors Association. What is the goal and intent of this approved Republican political system that operates in the background of our national politics? When you answer those questions, you realize why the RNC has no support from Republican base voters. The systems of the RNC and RGA are not about supporting Republican politics. These institutional systems, like the RGA and RNC, are focused entirely on retaining the business model that exists within D.C. and the Uniparty Assembly. Club for Growth is simply a K Street political lobbying firm with the intention of paying for policy they create. While we're at it, we might as well see who the last few chairs of the Republican Governors Association are. Starting in 2018, Pete Ricketts, 2019, Greg Abbott, 2021 through 2022, Doug Ducey, 
And then Pete Ricketts closed out that term. And then we had Kim Reynolds of Iowa, Ron DeSantis supporter herself from 2022 to 2023. Impressive, isn't it? Doug Ducey was the chair of the Republican Governors Association while the Uniparty was stealing the 2020 elections, most specifically from Donald Trump. And guys like Doug Ducey and Brian Kemp went right along with helping them steal it. Now, is all of that kayfabe? I suppose it could be, but there's no reason to assume it is. And there's no reason for trying to protect any of these people. We're told they're fighting for us, but there's actually no evidence that that's true. Don't you have to ask, why would the Republican Governors Association be funding anti-Trump advertising? It's like they don't even care about Donald Trump or any MAGA candidate winning a rigged election as long as they get to stay in power and keep the system chugging along in a way that most benefits them. Who would ever have thought it? Not Ron DeSantis, not Greg Abbott, Doug Ducey, Brian Kemp. Those guys are corrupt. No way. Definitely not Glenn Youngkin. You're not going to tell me Glenn Youngkin of the Carlisle Group might be in on this whole scam too, are you? It can't be. Wikipedia has their executive committee for 2021 listed. I guess maybe that's still their same current executive committee. Eric Holcomb of Indiana, who I actually don't know too much about. Larry Hogan of Maryland, commie. Charlie Baker of Massachusetts, commie. Pete Ricketts of Nebraska, commie. Doug Burgum of North Dakota. All right, Doug, I guess he's okay. Henry McMaster of South Carolina, I like so far. Christy Nome of South Dakota, I like so far. And Greg Abbott. So what do we have there? A few loyal MAGA patriots taking over the Republican Governors Association or just an organization that might itself be so rotten that it makes us doubt people we thought were good, loyal, patriotic Americans. Guess we'll find out. But one thing we shouldn't be doing is spending our time protecting politicians, people we don't know while they do all the wrong things because we're scared of weakening them at all. Because if we weaken them, oh, well, then the uniparty left might win instead of the uniparty right. And if the uniparty left wins, who in the illegitimate government is going to protect us from the uniparty? This is basically what we're dealing with at this point. Some of you may have seen an argument I engaged in on Truth Social over the last couple of days. Some lady was making the argument that we shouldn't call the Taylor Swift thing a psyop because the most important election issue is, quote unquote, women's issues. And if we say bad things about Taylor Swift, well, those women aren't going to like us in nine months. And if we don't have those votes, then we might not be able to win a rigged election. Now, it was clearly a very dumb argument. It assumes that our elections are legitimate. It was basically just trying to leverage an emotional argument, claims to patriotism against people to make them stop talking about Taylor Swift. Extremely dumb, totally ineffective. But it highlighted once again how people really think that the path to victory consists in getting out the vote, voting as hard as we absolutely can in order to win a rigged election for Donald Trump. And that is what's going to solve everything, everywhere, for all time. It makes no sense. And it's a bit depressing that people who pretend to be on our side, 
busy themselves with convincing the country that everything is about this one election in November. And what we have to do is behave so well and vote so hard that we can beat the people who set up the cheating system at cheating. And if we are not willing to comply hard enough to accomplish that, well, then they might not announce that we won. I do not understand this mindset of a subject, of a slave. We are going to beg them to give us power. We are going to show them how much we deserve it by going out and voting for people with little R's next to their name. That's how we're going to show them that we're just not going to take it anymore. We're not just going to stand here and allow you to do all these things to us and do all these things in our name. We're going to go vote for many of your candidates because they have little R's next to their name. And we'll go back to pretending it's all legitimate as long as you let us have Donald Trump. You got to let us have that one moment where the TV announces that Donald Trump is the winner. And if you're willing to give us that, you can go right back to calling us Nazis, right back to subverting the entire government and the duly elected president. And you can even keep your fraudulent election system in place. But you have to have the TV tell us that Donald Trump is the winner and that we were all good boys and good girls. Hey, everybody, you voted as hard as you could and you won. Oh, my goodness. It just makes me feel so tingly inside. Our mindset should not be to figure out how to comply with their system so well that we can actually beat them within it. The mindset should not be we have nine months to figure out how to make the TV call us winners for one day. The mindset should be all of them, including people on our side, have nine months to convince us that it is worth it to us to continue to participate in their system. At some point, you have to say, I'm not going to accept the scraps and crumbs. None of you are legitimate in the first place. And if you were, then you should care more about your responsibility to your country and your oath and your constituents. And until you prove that you do, we're not going to participate in the system that continues to empower your illegitimacy. What reason are you being given to vote for anyone other than Donald Trump? Someone is going to fight for you in the illegitimate government. There might well be some good people there in and among our House of Representatives and Senate. But how many of them are talking about fake elections? How many of them are telling you the truth about any issue in the country right now? But I know, I know, I know. We got to wake up the normies. We got to wake up the normies. That's why it's okay to lie to everybody else about everything else. And if the normies don't wake up, ah, well, you just let them keep lying. And once it's all lies, I mean, then we might believe the lies too. At least we'll then agree with the normies and we can all live happily ever after once again. All we have to do is accept that everybody's going to lie about everything all the time forever. Deal? Now, someone sent this over to me this morning and it's from the John Birch Society. And yes, the same John Birch Society that your good friends on CNN and MSNBC told you and told me to hate the same way they did with Donald Trump. These people are definitely all white supremacists and blah, blah, blah. Just like everybody else you're supposed to hate. 
But this is on their website with the heading support the South Carolina Sovereignty Act H3539. Members of the South Carolina General Assembly are seeking to enact the South Carolina Sovereignty Act, which would be a major step toward enforcing the U.S. Constitution and pushing back against federal overreach. House Bill 3539, titled the South Carolina Sovereignty Act, is sponsored by Representative Josiah Magnuson and 22 other representatives. If enacted, this bill would create a robust and comprehensive process for nullifying unconstitutional federal laws and policies enacted after January 1st, 2021. Noting that a long train of abuses and usurpations has been imposed by the federal government of the United States against the people of South Carolina, H3539 declares It is the intent of the people and General Assembly of South Carolina to abide by the U.S. Constitution and to reject all laws and orders not made in pursuance thereof. And not only was this the spirit of the Declaration of Independence in the first place, but the idea has been confirmed in Marbury versus Madison, which is now over 200 years of Supreme Court precedent. This is from archives.gov. I'm not going to belabor this point, but a law repugnant to the Constitution is void. With these words written by Chief Justice Marshall, the Supreme Court for the first time declared unconstitutional a law passed by Congress and signed by the president. Nothing stated in the Constitution gave the court this specific power. Marshall, however, believed that the Supreme Court should have a role equal to those of the other two branches of government. And so that presents its own kind of constitutional problem. But this case was part of the understanding of the three co-equal branches of government. Now, again, whether that is right or wrong is a separate constitutional conversation. But the idea remains that a law repugnant to the Constitution is void on its face. And it seems the representatives in South Carolina want to assert that in principle so their state does not have to comply with legislation passed by the illegitimate Congress and Senate and President. It's also worth noting that this could present some interesting conflict depending on which things Trump might have done in those last 20 days that would then be contested under these provisions. But let's go on a little further. If enacted, the South Carolina Sovereignty Act would empower the state's legislative council to review, quote, any act, law, treaty, presidential executive order, regulation, rule or regulatory order issued, adopted or implemented by the government of the United States on or after January 1st, 2021, and require it to review orders if requested by the governor or at least 20 state legislators. After reviewing the federal order, the Legislative Council may refer it to the state attorney general and governor for consideration. In reviewing the federal order, the attorney general would be required to, quote, consider whether the federal order infringes on the individual rights guaranteed by the Bill of Rights and any powers reserved to the state under the Tenth Amendment to the Constitution. If the attorney general declares the federal order constitutional, the General Assembly may pass a resolution overriding that determination. 
If the federal order is found to be unconstitutional, all state and local government entities would be banned from, quote, employing state funds, personnel or facilities to implement, attempt to implement or assist in its implementation. And just a couple more paragraphs here. I think that this is quite interesting and worth considering, worth thinking about, because there has to be a way to do away with what has been done over the last three years. We can't just have all these laws on the books that are obviously illegitimate themselves, unconstitutional themselves, and passed by illegitimate bodies and signed by an illegitimate president. And unless someone's just going to come out and say, yeah, hey, the whole devolution thing was exactly right and all of this stuff is null and void and the public is prepared to accept all of that, and it would be wonderful if we can get to that point, by the way, But unless that happens, there's going to have to be some sort of formal public facing process by which that's accomplished. Back to the article. The South Carolina Sovereignty Act is firmly grounded in the text of the U.S. Constitution. In particular, Article 6 states, quote, this Constitution and the laws of the United States, which shall be made in pursuance thereof, shall be the supreme law of the land, end quote. Additionally, the 10th Amendment makes clear that all powers not granted by the Constitution to the federal government are reserved to the states and to the people. Accordingly, any federal action that violates or contradicts the Constitution cannot be, quote, made in pursuance thereof, end quote, and thus is not, quote, the supreme law of the land, end quote. Unfortunately, in the last several decades, Thousands of unconstitutional laws on the federal, state, and even local levels have been created and enforced. That is just absolutely true. And the sad part is everybody just goes along with it. And part of the reason that they do is because a police state has been created and because a system of laws And the lawyers who support that system of laws have made it impossible for normal citizens to challenge the constitutionality of what is being done to them because that requires extraordinary resources that virtually no one has. And it requires lawyers standing up and risking their quote unquote ability to practice law by practicing law. It's funny, huh? All you have to do is levy the threat and people will back down. By threatening the ability of an attorney to practice law, the attorney himself or herself will just choose not to practice law in the first place. It's kind of like when the social medias threaten to censor people. And then everybody's like, well, I better not talk about those subjects. I wouldn't want to lose my very important platform that allows me to tell the truth about all those important subjects. And once again, you get around to the understanding that it actually is our responsibility to let go of the slave mindset, the mindset of a subject of this regime, waiting for the permission to act in ways that express we actually do value our dignity as humans rather than just groveling. The article finishes this way. The South Carolina Sovereignty Act follows and enforces both of these important constitutional provisions, Article 6 and the 10th Amendment, by nullifying unconstitutional federal actions and by restoring state sovereignty. Additionally, exercising these powers is more important now than ever, considering the extent to which the federal government has overreached. If our leaders adhered consistently to the Constitution 
80% of the federal government would be declared unconstitutional and the situation will likely get worse under the Biden administration. I have nothing to disagree with there. And I think that we can look at this as kind of a counterpart effort to what we see playing out in the states' rights, federalism conversation around the issue at the southern border that is being projected out to all of us via mass media in the showdown between Texas and the quote unquote Biden administration. So is this the solution? Obviously, I don't know. We're going to have to see how this plays out. But I'm glad the conversation has started. I'm glad that state representatives are trying to take back the power that is supposed to be reserved for the states. We really do have to understand what the good twin, evil twin dynamic in this country really does mean. We have a uniparty, the uniparty right, the uniparty left. The good twin, evil twin factions are all about the dynamic between sovereign nationalism and one world globalism. And another way that you can say that is that it's the principle of centralization versus the principle of decentralization. They want all the power, the evil twin does, held under a centralized global government. And each of the representatives in that centralized global government will be the product of a centralized government over the lands they control. We don't need to kid ourselves. The global regime would love it if the state lines all just went away and we had one large United States with the same set of laws for everyone. We could do elections by the quote unquote popular vote. And then every time our United States representative went to that centralized global government, they could claim to have the democratic popular support of all the American people when they agree with the global regime that its agenda must be pushed forward. The goal is centralization. The solution is to decentralize as many things as possible and to maximize on decentralization wherever you can find it. One of the many logical implications of this is that the money must be decentralized. People understand, for instance, that the war is against the central bankers and they'll talk about it online, but they still comply with the system the central bankers have set up. And they excuse all of this because they say, well, you know, this is just the system we live under and we can try to change it within the system, but we can't just stop participating in the system. And then once everybody agrees with that, everyone just shrugs and continues participating with the system. How easy, isn't it? And then in three or four or five or six years, when we own nothing and we will be happy, we'll just shrug and say, ah, oh, man, if we had only won that one election. And yeah, sure, we knew it was stolen, but that was our big chance. I guess now we just get vaccines forever and let them track us. But let's deal with some more of this insane clown show. Federal government overreach would be a problem if the people serving in our federal government were legitimate. And of course, they're not. So the problem is actually much deeper than that. And part of what prevents people from going deeper and part of what prevents people from challenging the illegitimate government is that they believe this illegitimate government still wields all this very real power. I mean, they put it on display all the time right there on television. 
every day. It shows us how powerful these people are, how much control they have over our lives. And the television would never lie. Well, okay, it'll lie sometimes, but the underlying reality is still true. The government has all this power to tell us how to live. It's very real power wielded by very competent, intelligent people. Just look at all the really terrible things they're doing to normal citizens and look at how they're treating the president. At least all of that part's gotta be real, right? Well, I guess on some level it might be. And we can talk about what level that is. Do these people really want to do all the bad things we see them doing? Yes, quite possibly. Have they done these things before? Yes, quite possibly. Are they doing these things right now? Maybe. Can they do these things to us? Well, I don't know. Are you going to let them? What would be the most difficult obstacle for them to overcome if they want to do those things to you? Well, I would suggest that the most difficult obstacle for them to overcome would be 80 or 85 or 90% of America understanding that that whole government is illegitimate and they're working in direct opposition to your interests while you continue to give them money. And you've decided that you're not going to fall for the bullshit. And so you don't comply anymore. I bet 90% of Americans doing that, just simply no longer complying and no longer agreeing to their legitimacy or the legitimacy of their system. I bet that would be the most difficult obstacle for them to get over if they are going to come after you and imprison you. But instead, we tell them it's going to be a president after we vote so hard that we can just overwhelm their cheating and we'll get Donald Trump in there and all those state governments. Sure, they're still going to be completely corrupted and filled with illegitimate representatives. But at least we get Donald Trump till till 2028. And yeah, they'll call him a Nazi and call us Nazis the whole time. But imagine how much nothing we'll own and how happy we'll be just a short two years later after Trump leaves under President Michelle Obama. I bet we could grovel our way to that conclusion, guys. Now, what was one of the biggest proofs that our illegitimate government wielded all this power and was willing to turn it and direct it at American citizens and could do it right now to us. Most people would immediately understand that to be the very violent insurrection, the entire J6 hoax. And many people who understand that it was a hoax and that many aspects of it were indeed staged, they still say, well, gosh, that government, they're so powerful. They can just come after us. They've done it before. Look what they did with the January 6th committee. And just think that January 6th committee All their evidence is like gone. They don't even have it. Benny Thompson can't find it. It's to the point where you wonder whether they ever had it to begin with because they certainly can't get to it now. It seems like they don't know where it is. But wait, the J6 committee, that was a sham committee. It wasn't even formed in accordance with the House rules. It was fake from the very start. But wait a second. They subpoenaed Bannon and Navarro 
and they didn't come in for their subpoenas. And now they're going to be sent to jail one day while Hunter Biden, he ignores a subpoena and nothing happens to him. Are you going to say those subpoenas and those court cases and the fact that Bannon and Navarro are totally going to go to jail someday? You're saying that's not real? Yeah, I'm saying that's not real. I mean, what could be more obviously not real? And then you might say, no, you can't say that. It's all real. It's all real. In fact, they are using the January 6th committee's findings, specifically the J6 committee report as the basis to claim that Donald Trump committed insurrection like they did in that courtroom in Colorado. And the judge finding that the J6 report concludes that Donald Trump committed insurrection. The judge saying it's also her opinion that Donald Trump committed insurrection. Well, that's the basis for all these other states trying to take Donald Trump off their ballot so he can't be president again. It's kind of weird that they're able to do that all on the basis of this totally fake investigation and the ridiculous frauds published in their report. And then you might say, well, yeah, but the Supreme Court's going to hear the case about whether or not these states can take Trump off the ballot for this reason. And yeah, the Supreme Court might. Maybe that'll make them finally deal with the legitimacy of these reconstruction amendments. Who knows? But what if they say, go ahead, states, you can take Donald Trump off your ballot. Will it then be time to think about the legitimacy of our elections or do we grovel harder? I mean, some of this has to be real, right? It has to be real. It has to be real. And people who know that an ABC producer staged the primetime drama of the J6 sham committee still think that some of it has to be real. Now, it's been a long time since that January 6th primetime television show began. And I've been calling it a J6 primetime television show for that whole time. And I've been calling the very violent insurrection, the very violent insurrection since the very violent insurrection. Why? Because it's all bullshit. And when you get thrown a whole pile of bullshit, you don't pretend that it's true and figure out how to react as though it's true just because the government's doing it and other people believe it. It would be like seeing the dealer at a casino cheating with how he's dealing the cards and you staying at the table saying, well, you know, it is their casino. I mean, you might as well bet your house on it, right? The point is not just to talk about how it's fake. The point is to live in a way that incorporates the understanding of its fakeness, knowing that over time, these situations can be resolved through the correct response and through the correct action. And it should not and does not require violence. We don't have to get to that point. But you do have to be interfacing and interacting with reality. And the reality is the stuff is fake. The government can continue pretending it's real. The media can continue pretending it's real. Your communist friends who cannot leave the party of false decorum can keep pretending it's real, but it's not real. And until you understand and incorporate that understanding that it is not real, you are not able to step outside the controlled opposition dynamic. And if you can't step outside that dynamic, you're always going to be stuck choosing one out of two choices, both of which 
benefit the unit party and benefit the regime. From the regime's perspective, there is virtually no difference in elections are not stolen. We have to go vote and elections are stolen. We have to go vote. That is just a PR problem for them. That is just about them altering the incentive and punishment structure for anyone who might otherwise cause problems. I mean, think about how they got members of the uniparty right and standard issue uniparty right villagers to shut up about election fraud. They censored some of them on social media and people didn't want to lose their Instagram or their Twitter or their Facebook. What could life ever be like if you lost that? So they shut up. They didn't want to get made fun of by their brain dead communist friends on the uniparty left, the people they've been tickle fighting since college. So they shut up. They simply turn the dial on the incentives and the punishments until they get the public conversation that works just fine for them. And too many people are happy with that. They are happy to stay inside that controlled opposition dynamic because they believe that their side is better than the other side. And that regardless, the system is the system and you must operate within it. I'm not saying anyone should do any certain thing, but you should think about what compliance means in full. And you should think about what it means to live in accordance with reality prime, not the false reality. Not giving preference to the fake narrative because it's projected from power sources like the government or public health authorities or the media or celebrities or even literally everyone in your peer group besides you. It doesn't matter. Let them get the bad result. People have to live in reality prime and operate in accordance with the incentive and punishment structure there not in the projected false reality. But let's get back to this whole January 6th thing and the J6 sham committee. And I'm not saying this to pump myself up. I'm just saying it to illustrate this point. I have been calling it a primetime television show since its inception because that's what it was. I already knew the J6 thing was a hoax. I already knew the committee was improperly formed and thus had no real legitimate enduring power. And I knew it was being produced by a television producer. I did not need to hear Cassidy Hutchinson describing how Donald Trump tried to choke out his secret service driver in the beast so that he could lead the insurrection on the Capitol grounds to know it was fake. But hey, It's always nice to have confirmation, and yet we still have people believing it. The whole thing. They believe Cassidy Hutchinson. Our friends, our family, our coworkers, people still believe this stuff. But it doesn't matter, because it's always been fake from the very, very, very beginning. And it only grows faker and more obviously fake over time. A man named Eric Abenante posted this. On X, formerly Twitter, today. There's video coming up in a second, but I want to read his caption. In a remarkable PBS documentary, the January 6th committee admits the entire thing was a publicity stunt slash fabricated TV production meant to manipulate the audience, which is why they brought in the former president of ABC News, James Goldston. 
Then he includes a couple of quotes that you're about to hear in this clip. First, it was Goldston who envisioned this as a miniseries. Second, we knew how high the stakes were. We were either going to make people realize that this was important, or once you've lost them, you've lost them for good. Abenante says, well, you failed and you lost most of the American public for good. Nice try, though. Here's the clip. Thompson's committee had gathered a trove of information. The challenge, what to do with it. The one thing that we knew was the information that we have is compelling. The thing we needed to do was tell that to the American people in a compelling way. So that's why we brought in a former president of ABC News. Yeah, I got a call pretty much out of the blue um, from the January the 6th committee. They wanted, they wanted a storyteller. And while they were brilliant, they were brilliant lawyers, storytelling for a mass audience is not what they do. To bring in a guy like this who would think outside the box really did prove to be fruitful. And it was Goldston who really began to envision this as, in a way, a kind of mini-series, that there would be you know, sort of nine episodes and that these episodes would tackle particular themes. Attack on the Capitol. The first hearing was primetime television. As the nation is about to witness a defining moment, the first hearing before the country, the results of the January 6th investigation. This is an extraordinary moment in American history. When it came to that first hearing, we knew how high the stakes were. Is about to hold its first primetime hearing. We were either going to, you know, make people realize that this is important, you know, or once once you've lost them, you've, you've lost them for good. On the evening of June 9th, 8.01 p.m., the doors opened. My heart was beating pretty fast on June 9th, and it, it was a real question uh, of, is this going to work or not? All right, everybody, here we go. Five on the line, please. I'm in this tiny control room right up the stairs from Cannon Caucus, and we count down to, to the start of the hearing, and at that point, what can you do? Here we go. In three, two, one. The select committee to investigate the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol will be in order. Without objection. We wanted to make sure that this was a presentation that would grab the audience and hold on to them. Chairman Thompson loved to say, it's got to pop. It's got to pop, everybody. We gotta have the television show that will convince all of America that this was a legitimate, very violent insurrection and that Donald Trump should never be allowed to run for president ever again. His supporters, we should be able to censor them. We should be able to lock them up. If they don't take our vaccines the next time around, we should be able to take their children. The only way we're going to be able to do that is by convincing Americans that this thing is important. And you just heard me say that, but let's think about what that means again. The only way they're going to be able to do the things they want to do are if they can convince Americans that that thing's important. What is the key to all of that? The key to them implementing that strategy, convincing Americans that it's important. So in your personal capacity, what is your responsibility to prevent them from being able to convince Americans that it's important? 
What is your most powerful weapon there? The understanding that it is fake and illegitimate and you will never say anything other than that in any capacity anywhere. You want to defeat narratives, call them fake. Don't argue with them as though they're real when you know they're fake. Call them fake. Laugh in their faces and convince other people to do the same thing. If you're not going to force them to prove that any of this is real, then none of it ever has to be real. They can simply show you the TV show knowing that you're not going to put up a protest because you're scared of what they showed you on TV. But I know, I know they've done things like this throughout history and they would, <laughs> they, hmm, yeah, okay, yeah, okay. They would lie to us about history too. Of course they would lie to you about history. That's the entire point of history being written by the winners. They are admitting on PBS Frontline, a TV show on the public broadcasting system, that the entire thing was propaganda. But will Americans accept their admission? Or will they say, no, 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 you've fooled me before, TV people. I can tell that when you say, yes, it's all fake, this time you're lying. You thought I was about to accept how actually fake things are and act in accordance with that, but nope. Not this time, TV people. I have figured you out. You now admitting that it's fake must make all the other parts real. It's starting to get a bit concerning that people think they have reached the completion of their own personal awakening and they can never be fooled about what's real and fake ever again. Guys, that's not true. I don't think that I have realized all of the things that are fake and just how fake they are. But I have actually kind of habituated myself into first considering that something is fake when I see it prior to all other considerations. And most commonly, my response is, well, I can't rule it out. So I'm going to keep that in mind and see how this story develops. I'm going to keep in mind the possibility that all of this could be fake. And it's a good habit to get in, particularly when you're shown things like paragliding go-karts or told that we're about to go to civil war over concertina wire. And holding on the topic of the very violent insurrection for a few more minutes, Darren Beatty at Revolver.News has been covering the whole J6 pipe bomb hoax at the RNC and the DNC. You might remember on January 6th, if you were not actually in Washington, D.C. and you were paying attention to the news, you might remember being told about the pipe bombs at the RNC and the DNC. What harrowing news that was right before being told about the breach of the Capitol grounds, this huge riot, this insurrection, as they began calling it almost immediately. Well, they have never caught the pipe bomber. And now that whole story is unraveling as well. There was video that got released a week or so ago showing the fact that there was virtually no reaction whatsoever to anyone around the pipe bomb upon its discovery, indicating that everyone knew it was fake and it was their role just to go along with it. Here is Darren Beatty laying it out this morning on War Room. 
can't speak to Loudermilk. I hope that he would take this up, and I hope more people would take this up because we're so close. Look, it, I held out 1% chance that maybe there was some exotic, but when you hear it, plausible and innocent explanation for the utterly damning fact pattern that we've uncovered in our reporting. But the fact that when asked, what's the deal with this video? Why, you know, how did they know that the bomb is fake? They clearly know it's fake. They said, no, no, this is, we just didn't want to cause panic. That is not a believable answer. They were also asked, what are the circumstances of discovering this DNC bomb? Because remember, this DNC bomb, when it was discovered at 1.05 p.m. on the 6th, had been sitting out there undiscovered for over 17 hours. And so I've always found it strange that this DNC bomb was sitting there undiscovered for 17 hours, undiscovered by passersby, by motorists, by pedestrians on a very high foot traffic morning on January 6th, by the regularly stationed physical DNC security guard who's usually posted no more than 10 feet away from where the bomb was planted, and then the coup de grace, the Secret Service of the United States. Yep, the very, very same Secret Service that clearly knows the bomb is fake managed not to find the bomb in the sweep that the, they're on record as having conducted prior to Kamala Harris entering the building. So the bomb sitting out there undiscovered for over 17 hours, then magically it's discovered 15 minutes after the first one is discovered at the Capitol Hill Club. The first one is discovered at 1240. This random woman stumbles upon it at 1240. She goes and informs a security guard in the Capitol Hill Club. The Capitol Hill police start responding to this at 1250. This is three minutes before the initial and decisive West Perimeter breach in which Ray Epps was involved. So just to to summarize that and really help people digest it, we're supposed to believe that both of these bombs that were planted the evening before were sitting around for 16, 17 hours, undiscovered, and both independently happened to be pulled upon within a 15-minute window of that unfolding attack on the West Perimeter of the Capitol. That is infinitesimally implausible. And what that means is really dark, really dark and really serious because, look, the regime, they know this story has reached escape velocity. They moved from suppression mode to damage control mode. And one of the things they're going to try to do, Steve, is to keep this mess within the pipe bomb. And that's a big enough mess in its own right, believe me. But they're going to try to prevent that from metastasizing into the other dimensions of January 6th that we've covered, principally that peace monument breach on the West Perimeter that was the subject of our major piece called Meet Ray Epps Part 2. But the smoking gun is the synchronicity. You simply cannot explain by mere chance that these bombs were sitting there for 17 hours and were both independently, randomly discovered within a 15-minute window corresponding exactly with that attack. And it's even, it's even more damning because the official version for why that attack was so successful was that the resources were diverted in order to address the pipe bomb. So how real were the pipe bombs? Well, we have pictures of those pipe bombs being there, and we've 
seen a person in a hooded sweatshirt walking down the street and sitting at a bench. And that, I guess, is the person who left the pipe bombs there, according to this version of the story. Except the pipe bombs weren't real. So why'd that person go leave fake pipe bombs at both places? I mean, we know the pipe bombs weren't real or Secret Service wouldn't have allowed a group of children to cross the street in the direction of the pipe bomb and well within range. They wouldn't have just stood around going about their business, knowing that all of a sudden there was a pipe bomb there, especially with the vice president elect inside. And of course, That part's totally illegitimate too. So they knew that the pipe bombs weren't real. Was there even a pipe bomb there at all? Maybe, maybe not. What difference would it make? The whole thing is a hoax. The hoax exists to support the insurrection narrative that they just started broadcasting to everyone soon after so that everybody knew, ooh, those evil MAGAs are up to no good. They already almost bombed the RNC and the DNC, man. They're going in for the attack, the insurrection, the very violent insurrection on our nation's capital. They're threatening to tear down the citadel of our democracy. And then we got nothing but that for years supported by a primetime television show that they are admitting to you was fake. It was propaganda meant to elicit a reaction from the public. And we're like, yeah, we got to defeat them. We got to make sure to never give them the right reaction. But one thing I refuse to do is call this fake. Hey guys, it's fake. You got to live in accordance with Reality Prime. And in Reality Prime, that is something you saw on TV and nothing more. It should be analyzed as something you saw on TV and nothing more. Now, I enjoy Darren Beatty, and he's a hell of a journalist, and he has followed this story along for years now. But ultimately, all the information that has been added on over the course of three years now still only leads us to the same conclusion we could have drawn immediately if we were just strong and independent enough in our own thought processes and own discernment. The ultimate conclusion after three years is that it's just as fake as it was that day. Let's talk about our fake elections for a few minutes. This is from the Associated Press today. Republican lawsuits challenge mail ballot deadlines. Could they upend voting across the country? Republicans are challenging extended mail ballot deadlines in at least two states in a legal maneuver that could have widespread implications for mail voting before the presidential election in November. A lawsuit filed last week in Mississippi follows a similar one last year in North Dakota, both brought in heavily Republican states before conservative federal courts. Democratic and voting rights groups are concerned about the potential impact beyond those two states if a judge rules that deadlines for receiving mailed ballots that stretch past Election Day, November 5th, violate federal law. They say it's possible such a decision would lead to a nationwide injunction similar to one last year when a Texas judge temporarily paused the Food and Drug Administration's approval of the abortion pill Mifepristone. This effort risks disenfranchising Mississippi voters, but we don't want that to also be precedent for other states. 
Abi Rahman, communications director of the Democratic Legislative Campaign Committee, said in a response to the most recent lawsuit. And isn't it amazing how they admit just right out in the open their evil intent? And that is evil intent. He says they don't want to risk disenfranchising voters. Everybody knows by now that is just a diversion tactic. They don't want to address whether or not what they're doing is legal. They want you to understand that if you tell them it's not legal, you're racist or you're the one who's cheating people out of their opportunity to express their voice to their government. That's you preventing them from doing it. It's not them canceling out your vote with a bunch of fake votes. It's you preventing one of your fellow Americans from voting just because he hasn't followed the law. So the RNC joined in the case in Mississippi, skipping down in the article. The suit challenges a Mississippi law that says absentee ballots in presidential elections will be counted if they are postmarked by election day and received within five days. It argues that Mississippi improperly extends the federal election beyond the election date set by Congress and that as a result, quote, timely valid ballots are diluted by untimely invalid ballots. What could be more obvious? I guess we'd better hope this stuff won't affect the validity of votes that were cast in 2020. You know, like the decision about mail-in votes in Wisconsin did. I love how everyone just goes along with it and pretends our elections are real and our fake president is legitimate, even though multiple states have ruled the elections unconstitutional and Donald Trump never conceded and there are still ongoing challenges. But hey, guys, all the sources of power tell us Joe Biden is a real and legitimate president, including our illegitimate government, our corporate media, our celebrities and our censorious social media platforms. And oh yeah, the military industrial complex and the global governments and the cartels and whatnot, they all totally agree that Joe Biden really is president. Now, obviously world leaders like Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping know Joe Biden's not president, but we have to go along with the power sources in our country. If we don't comply, well, they might send their fake powers after us. Back to the article. Federal law is very clear. Election day is the Tuesday after the first Monday in November. RNC chairwoman Ronna McDaniel said in a statement announcing the lawsuit. However, some states accept and count ballots days and days after election day, and we believe that practice is wrong. Now, I know everybody wants to fire Ronna McDaniel because they were mad and sad about what was on television. The people who wanted to fire Ronna McDaniel the absolute worst a year ago were all of the Ron DeSantis supporters. In fact, they tried to use the Ronna thing as a weapon to bludgeon Donald Trump and MAGA with. Trump supports Ronna and you support Trump, even though he supports Ronna, when are you going to learn that Trump is always doing the wrong thing no matter what? Oh, yes, Ron, people, you know so many things. In North Dakota, a similar federal lawsuit against the state election director was filed by the Conservative Public Interest Legal Foundation on behalf of a county auditor, Mark Splonskowski, who cited what he said is a conflict between state and federal law. A court is expected to decide soon whether he has the legal right to bring the suit, which means does he have standing? 
in North Dakota. You have the state election director, Erica White, asking for that case to be dismissed. They want extra time to collect mail-in ballots. The North Dakota Republican Secretary of State declined to comment. A Republican state senator named Kristen Rowers worries that it might penalize military voters or voters that live in areas with slow postal service. Yes, what a huge concern. It's worth entirely doing away with any sense of election integrity just to cater to that concern. The areas where there's slow postal service for all those North Dakotans that can't decide who they're going to vote for until the very last day. The article concludes this way. Richard L. Hasen, a University of California, Los Angeles law professor and election law expert, criticized the legal basis of the lawsuits. In the Mississippi case, he said the RNC appears to be trying to gain a political advantage because, quote, it believes late arriving mail ballots are more likely to favor Democrats. Oh, sure. That's what it's about. He noted that the fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, which includes Mississippi, has historically been quite conservative, quote, and not protective of voting rights. Oh, very sad. It would be a far reach for a challenge to Mississippi law to lead to a national injunction against this, he said, but it's possible. I mean, imagine that. Imagine if states weren't allowed to keep accepting ballots simply because the election was already over crazy. I know. Now we talked yesterday about how fake the Trump trials are. And I know, I know it really hurts to say something like that. I mean, they have to be at least sort of real, right? I mean, the Jack Smith ones, those must be real. That's a real special counsel from the real president. I mean, sure. One of the indictments does include all that information from that report put out by the sham J six committee, but it's gotta be real, right? Because he's a real special counsel underneath the real president. And all of this is happening totally under the powers of the real constitution. And if Trump doesn't play his cards, right? Well, he might go to jail for 700 bajillion years. Here is a letter put out today signed by various members of Congress whose names we will all know. Anna Paulina Luna, Byron Donalds, Tim Burchett, Lauren Boebert, Michael Cloud, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Eric Burleson addressing the constitutional legitimacy of one Jack Smith. The letter is addressed to Jack Smith, and it begins with an introduction on the failure to respond to prior letters. So I'll skip the first couple sentences, which are mostly just dates and correspondences. Both the department's response and your office's actions with regard to the investigation and prosecution of President Trump underscore the need for congressional oversight. So they are demanding oversight of the special counsel's office. Neither the American people nor Congress have any insight into whether your actions have been subject to any oversight, congressional or otherwise. Although AAG Uriarte's correspondence refers to the regulations permitting the attorney general to, quote, request that the special counsel provide an explanation for any investigative or prosecutorial step, end quote, your office may take. 
regulations we cited in our correspondence to you, AAG Uriarte, does not address whether any such oversight, in fact, has occurred. We are unpersuaded by AAG Uriarte's reference to, quote, longstanding protections for the confidentiality, end quote, of the information we seek. Indeed, there is historical precedent for congressional oversight of a purportedly independent prosecution, specifically in the regulations promulgated by then acting Attorney General Robert Bork's 1973 appointment of Leon Jaworski as a special prosecutor for the investigation of the Watergate scandal. Acting Attorney General Bork required the congressional consent for any termination of Jaworski, an explicit acknowledgement by the Department of Justice of the critical role played by Congress in the oversight of an independent investigation. Our core concern is understanding how your office has administered the law, and our legislative function is to assess whether that law has been implemented as intended or requires change. The letter goes on explaining their legal right to oversight, so let's skip down. Recent actions by your office exacerbate our concern regarding the sufficiency of oversight of your investigation and prosecution of President Trump. For example, in your office's petition of the United States Supreme Court for a writ of certiorari before judgment, you assert, Vindicating the public interest in this case requires immediate resolution of the immunity question to permit the trial to occur on an appropriate timetable, end quote. Yet the criminal justice system is not a vehicle to inform the electorate and any such interest does not overcome the judiciary's interest in ascertaining whether a case is in fact justiciable. Indeed, as you are no doubt aware, department regulations caution against taking action that could impermissibly interfere with an election. So they are saying to him, there is no oversight of this. You are asking the Supreme Court to decide whether or not you're allowed to bring these charges against the president. And you're saying it's an emergency for the court to consider this based on the fact that there is an election coming up making the case that somehow the people need to know whether your fake indictments can go forward. And not only is the timing of the election not the salient legal issue, it is the responsibility of Jack Smith's office to refrain from interfering in elections in the first place. Your office's writ of certiorari petition is also concerning for what it lacks, any apparent endorsement by the U.S. Solicitor General. As you are also no doubt aware, the Solicitor General appointed by the President and confirmed with the advice and consent of the Senate is responsible for representing the United States before the Supreme Court, with limited exceptions not applicable here. Our interest in whether the office of the Solicitor General was consulted is more than semantic. As we articulated in our December 1st correspondence, your actions reflect that of a principal officer and not that of an inferior officer, as AAG Uriarte blanketly contends. So the claim here is that only the Solicitor General can bring cases to the Supreme Court and argue cases in front of the Supreme Court on behalf of the United States. And so they're asking whether or not the Solicitor General is involved with bringing this forward. 
Most recently, even your purported representation of the interests of the American people was belied by the position taken by your office in argument before the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit on January 9th, 2024. In that argument, James Pierce conceded for the first time ever that a former president can enjoy an immunity from prosecution while simultaneously claiming that such a question need not be resolved with regard to President Trump, even though the situation described by Mr. Pierce is nearly identical to that confronted by your office's prosecution of President Trump. This key concession contradicts the position taken by your office in all prior litigation involving President Trump. At this juncture, the concession reflects an acknowledgement of the important constitutional questions raised by the unprecedented nature of your prosecution that your office apparently seeks to disregard. So they are now, after two months, reiterating their same requests for information as listed on the December 1st letter. Here are the requests. All documents and communications concerning your authority to impanel a grand jury in the United States District Courts for the District of Columbia and the Southern District of Florida. So they are challenging Jack Smith's authority to impanel a grand jury in the first place. Number two, all documents and communications concerning your authority to offer immunity pursuant to 18 U.S. Code Section 6002 to individuals testifying before either grand jury. So can Jack Smith impanel a grand jury? Can he offer immunity to people who have testified? Number three. All documents and communications concerning your authority to seek the return of an indictment from either grand jury, including to threaten the return of an indictment through a target letter, which was that letter that he sent to Donald Trump threatening the indictment. And finally, number four, all documents and communications concerning any oversight by the Department of Justice regarding any of these topics specifically including, but not limited to, all documents and communications exchanged between your office and the department concerning your decision to return an indictment of President Trump. They are asking Jack Smith to substantiate any of his authority to be doing any of this in the first place. Seems like kind of a strange angle to be taking, right? I mean, this must be a legitimate special counsel. He brought up these indictments. One of them had to do with the very real Mar-a-Lago documents raid. And one of them had to do with the very real, very violent insurrection. Oh yeah, and that real election that took place where Donald Trump really lost and he knew that he really lost and still challenged it anyway. I mean, all of that stuff's real. So the special counsel, he must have real authority handed down to him by a real attorney general for that real president who definitely won that real election. It's all got to be real. I can't believe they're even challenging whether or not he has the authority to do any of this in the first place. And they want his communications with the Department of Justice. What if we find out that Joe Biden's very legitimate administration had something to do with the political persecution of his key opponent? I mean, this is obviously what's happening. Everybody is being shown all of it. The only conclusion 
to draw is that it's all been fake from the beginning, but we can't say that. We can't say that. It's irresponsible to say that. (laughs) You're not allowed to say that. You might get censored. Somebody might punish you. Somebody might fire you. Everybody might stop being your friend. You can't say that it's fake. People are going to think you're crazy. You're supposed to just pretend all these fake things are real. That's what sane people do. Don't you understand? I don't know what to tell you guys. It is a total inversion within the false reality. If you prioritize the false reality and you act in accordance with the incentive and punishment structure within the party of false decorum, you're going to remain in the false reality. And if everybody does that, then the false reality wins. You actually do have to reject it all the way down at the bottom and just refuse to ever lie about any of it. Call other people out when they lie about it. And if you don't happen to be in the majority and people want to gang up on you, well, then you stand there and you take it. Or even better, you mock them to their faces and you say things like, you really believe that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes? You don't really believe that, do you? Why not put them on the defensive? They don't have the facts on their side. And that doesn't mean that you know each and every one of the facts, but you know they're wrong. Once they get you onto their turf, you have already lost. That's not reality in there. It doesn't matter how many links and sources you can send one another. You act in accordance with reality prime and you escape the false reality. You move outside of it and they will suddenly think that you've broken the matrix because... While you might have to pass up on some of the incentives that they will get within the false reality, that shit is material and it's temporary. That system is dying. You are watching it exposed before everybody. All you have to do is notice how long do you think that will last and under what conditions could it last? The only way it could is if everybody just goes back to sleep. They accept the incentive and punishment structure on offer from the party of false decorum. And as they twist that dial and turn the incentives up and turn those punishments up, knowing that sooner or later they will force the requisite compliance, the party wins again. The regime wins again, all because people weren't willing to simply say what they see in front of them. Hey, all of this is bullshit. And let's hit one more instance of bullshit unraveling before we wrap the show up today. I mentioned earlier, there's no way that Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping would ever possibly believe that Joe Biden received 81 million real lawful American votes because they don't get their news from state propaganda media. They don't get their election results from CNN and Fox News. They have intelligence agencies. They know how things work in the world. There's a reason why they don't take Joe Biden seriously. There's a reason why Donald Trump said that Xi Jinping thinks Donald Trump is playing a trick on him for allowing Joe Biden to be president. And it's not only that they know the elections are fake. This article from late last year passed through my feed again today. This is from the Associated Press on September 12th of 2023. Putin says prosecution of Trump shows U.S. political system is rotten. And just a couple of paragraphs here. As for the prosecution of Trump, for us, what is happening in today's conditions, in my opinion, is good because it shows the rottenness of the American political system, which cannot pretend to teach others democracy. 
Putin said at an Eastern Economic Forum gathering in Russia's Pacific Coast city of Vladivostok. Everything that is happening with Trump is the persecution of a political rival for political reasons. That's what it is. And this is being done in front of the public of the United States and the whole world. And while we are watching this political persecution and dealing with the civil war drama at the border and all of these Trump indictments and the very real election that we're about to have in nine months, Putin and Xi and all of the other BRICS nations are combining in a currency alliance that directly targets the central bankers and their regime fiat currency currently branded as the United States dollar. Do you imagine they are participating in the incentive and punishment structure of the party of false decorum and the American uniparty, or are they existing in reality prime well outside of that little bubble? where they know Joe Biden's not the president and they would never accept or pretend anything else. It's not just that Joe Biden's obvious illegitimacy makes him weak on the world stage. It's the fact that so many people recognize Joe Biden's illegitimacy. Why don't they act like they're scared of Joe Biden nuking them or the global American empire? destroying everything in its path. Why don't they respect the abstract power projected by the global regime that everyone else just goes along with and complies with? It's because they know it's fake. And isn't it crazy that they're willing to say it even while the Joe Biden illegitimate administration is threatening to go directly to war with them? The fake president has already been doing this for two years now. Regarding Ukraine, we are three weeks away from the two-year anniversary from when Russia first launched its brutal invasion. But Joe Biden was already out there. You might remember the couple ridiculous press conferences and all his little threatening statements. Well, it's been two years and none of what they said or threatened has come to pass. But I know, I know it's going to be so much different with Taiwan. And how is that very brutal invasion going? I mean, how is the Ukraine war going? How is our protection of the sovereign borders going? How are the brave Ukrainians doing in defending their sovereign borders? Remember, we were supposed to have a spring summer offensive nearly a year ago now. And that just never materialized because all the intelligence was just accidentally leaked in an online chat. By like a 22-year-old National Guardsman? And what about the ghost of Kiev? What about Snake Island? What about that girl who was fleeing the maternity hospital? I feel like I just saw something a week or so ago about how now she was doing propaganda in Israel. What about that near miss at the Zaporozhia nuclear plant? What about when Russia sent missiles into Poland and it almost sparked Article 5 of NATO, but then like two hours later, they found out that wasn't Russia at all. It was actually just Ukraine too. But you know, despite all that fakeness and failure, it's still a very, very real war and the Ukrainians, they're going to win it. They're going to beat back this brutal Russian invasion. What they need is a different direction. Yeah, that's the ticket, a different direction. The Washington Post published just yesterday. Zelensky to oust Ukraine's top general amid tension over new mobilization. 
Now, this has been reported on all week. The Washington Post, of course, had to report on it at exactly the right time yesterday. Just a couple of paragraphs here. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky told his top commander, General Valery Zaluzny, that he was firing him in a meeting on Monday, according to a senior official familiar with the conversation. So some guy, you know, just some guy. A disruptive military shakeup amid Ukraine's struggles on the battlefield and after months of friction between the president and the popular general. I wonder if this has anything to do with those funding problems. I mean, they can't give us that security that we desperately seek on the border, which means we can't give them our extended indentured servitude so that they can give these foreign fake proxy wars 110 billion more dollars to launder to their friends. Zeluzny remains in his post for now, but a formal presidential decree is expected to confirm his ousting nearly two years into Russia's invasion. And as Moscow's forces appear to be gaining the strategic initiative on some parts of the front. <laughs> yeah, you see that Russia appears to be gaining the strategic initiative on some parts of the front. Zelensky is firing the legendary commander in chief of very real country Ukraine's very real military that has other people besides the Nazi battalions and the people they have forced from their homes to just get killed on the battlefield. And of course, foreign mercenaries, there's a, a real army there too. And Zelensky is the legendary commander in chief of those people. And despite Ukraine waging this very brave battle for low these two years, really basically winning the entire time, although not always like not right now, but basically the entire time, they're still going to fire this guy anyway. Wait, what's this? Just a few hours later in the Times of London, Zelensky U-turns after telling Ukraine's top general he would be sacked. President Zelensky told the commander in chief of Ukraine's armed forces, he was dismissing him, but was forced to reverse his decision after pressure from senior military commanders and international partners. According to senior officers, General Valery Zeluzny was summoned to a face-to-face -face meeting with Zelensky on Monday, where he told the president that his advisor's assessments of the military situation were more positive than realistic. It was the first time that the pair had met without Zelensky's advisors in a year, a year and a half, one officer said. He was then asked to resign according to three sources. When he refused, Zelensky said that he would sign a decree dismissing him. Zeluzny returned to his office and informed his deputies that he had been fired. A former minister and former MP then leaked the news on social media. I'm packing my things, Zeluzny told one of the officers who asked him about rumors about his resignation. Sources also told the Times that he was offered the role of secretary of the National Security Council, which he declined. So the comedic actor in Ukraine went and fired his commander in chief, who, despite two years of nonstop lies and fabrication from the global state propaganda media, has not ever at any point been winning. But then the military commanders all decided to tell the comedic actor, the bravest president in the history of the world, even though he always wears T-shirts and sweatpants, Volodymyr Zelensky, the comedic actor, the military told him, nah, you're not firing us. What are we going to do? 
Perhaps another Vogue photo shoot might be in store. Or was it Vanity Fair? Who can remember? Sean Penn might give Volodymyr Zelensky another Oscar. Maybe they'll have him speak in front of Congress. And that'll convince those military leaders to just stop their coup and accept that they are fired. Wait, what's that? A coup against Volodymyr Zelensky? He's a comedic actor. Isn't he just a regime puppet? And yeah, maybe... Or maybe he's someone else's puppet. We've considered that before. It might be time to consider it again. Because how does all of this look if he is and Zeluzny is not on his side? If Zeluzny is the regime's guy and Zelensky no longer is, then we would have to see the situation in a whole different light. I mean, imagine how all of this must feel. For all of those people who still have Ukraine flags hanging from their house and Ukraine flag bumper stickers on their car and Ukraine flag emojis as part of their profile name. Imagine what they must be going through, finding out that maybe the comedic actor isn't the greatest president in the history of the world. And maybe it wasn't a great idea to defend the fact that he had Nazi battalions just based on the fact that they were told he was Jewish. And maybe they just got fooled about the whole thing, which makes them, uh, oops, the bad guys. But what are we to make of this? Well, maybe we can examine the world and find a hint. This is a press release from the illegitimate Secretary of State's office yesterday. Acting Deputy Secretary of State Newlands travel to Ukraine. Acting Deputy Secretary of State Victoria Newland traveled to Kiev. Ukraine on January 31st. While there, she met with senior Ukrainian government officials to reiterate the United States' enduring support for Ukraine's democracy, sovereignty, and territorial integrity in the face of Putin's brutal war. The acting deputy secretary also visited a USAID-funded Wounded Veteran Rehabilitation Center, where she saw and heard firsthand accounts of both the tragic toll of nearly two years of fighting and the heroic bravery of the Ukrainian people who are determined to win the fight for their future. Here is Victoria Newland standing in some weird high-heeled boots in front of a table outside, apparently in Ukraine. I'm here. Uh, as long as Congress didn't approve financial aid for Ukraine yet, uh, what makes you sure that we will have this aid uh, finally? Maybe you have some plan B or something. Well, let me start by saying the American people understand and admire the miracle that Ukraine has already achieved in defending itself against this vicious Russian aggression. And they also understand what happens if you cannot continue not only to survive, but to thrive. And so I have great confidence that that understanding will be reflected in the vote that the Congress makes on this request of President Biden. She is standing outside in the dark. USnews.com goes on with more comments from Newland, more reporting on this meeting. Newland said a new quote unquote small diameter bomb able to hit targets at greater distances would soon arrive in the country. 
Sources this week said the new weapon could be in Ukraine within days. How about that? Victoria Newland goes over there. They're about to get new weapons that will surely win them this war. We continue to provide security support in all categories, including new investments and new weapon systems, she said, like the small diameter bomb that is on its way to the front. They go on. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's chief of staff has said that postponement of U.S. assistance for Kyiv would create a big risk of Ukraine losing the war with Russia. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told European officials on Wednesday that a failure by Congress to act on funding would hand a victory to Kremlin leader Vladimir Putin. And I mean, that's really it, isn't it? The Treasury Secretary is letting everybody know that if the American people don't agree to this border package with the $110 billion for these fake foreign proxy wars, then Vladimir Putin will win. Now, why is the Treasury Secretary talking about that? I wonder if, quote unquote, Putin winning has implications on what might happen to our currency. Gosh, I hope everybody believes in the border problem as much as necessary to get this funding passed. Wait, damn it. Funding from the EU has also been stalled. EU leaders will discuss the future of an EU military fund at a summit on Thursday and try to reach agreement on a four-year economic aid plan for 50 billion euros. Newland said she was leaving Kiev, quote, more encouraged about Ukraine's unity and resolve about 2024 and its absolute strategic importance for Ukraine, end quote. What does she think is going to happen there? She predicted Ukrainian military successes in 2024 and that Putin, quote, is going to get some nice surprises on the battlefield. Now, neither the statement from the State Department nor any of this reporting says that Newland met with the comedic actor. You gotta wonder why. I mean, isn't he the most important guy for her to be meeting? He's the president after all. And I mean, sure. The regime seems to love this legendary commander-in-chief, Zeluzny, but they can't possibly love him more than Volodymyr Zelensky, can they? Well, wait, maybe it's because she's just the acting deputy secretary of state. But no, they don't care about that. The regime does what it needs to do regardless of the titles. But wait, why is she just the acting deputy secretary of the state? Oh, It's because for her to not be the acting deputy secretary of state, she would have to be confirmed by the Senate and then she would have to have hearings. But let's boil this down to its very essence. We've got the comedic actor, the president of Ukraine, that very real country that has very real elections, that place that isn't just obviously a regime proxy state guarded by Nazi battalions. He's in a standoff with the commander in chief of his own military and the commander in chief of the military who he just tried to fire basically just said, nah, I'm not fired. I'm not fired. I got this. I got this whole army thing. And that army thing says I'm not fired. And right while that's going on, you get the queen of the color revolution herself, Victoria Newland, dropping in just to make sure everything's okay, trying to protect the global regime's investment in Ukraine. And the project of a lifetime for her. I mean, she was also the person who went in there 10 years ago in 2014 to overthrow Ukraine's government, which is what started the whole ethnic civil war that led to all of this in the first place. Isn't it strange how it all just eventually unravels? I mean, sure, it's all bullshit, 
but it's the fiction that sells and it's got to pop. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Mastin lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range.
It's hell!